Mineshaft, a statue in an empty lake, unusual funeral rites in a starving community. Find this and more in Caitlin Marceau's newest collection of short horror from Ghost Orchid Press. Do you dare to venture into a blackness absolute? Available wherever books are sold. Horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. This is Bram Stoker and Elgin Award-nominated author Jessica McHugh, and I'm hoping you'll join me May 26th through the 28th in Hunt Valley, Maryland, where I'll be a guest of honor and the featured poet at Horror on Main. This convention is like a love letter to the horror community, with writers, artists, actors, directors, pretty much anything you could want if you love the horror genre as much as I do. So come on down to Hunt Valley Memorial Day weekend, and I'll see you at Horror on Main. See HorrorOnMain.com for details. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers writers and creators oh blood light light no light on light off good lord <laughs> speaking of the lord hello mr langan hey john my children <laughs> you doing, i mean man? patrick you're my child brennan yeah bastard child got it no, no, no. Just like neighborhood kid, <laughs> it won't even. go away. I'm just like, come on, man. Langan just demoted me from bastard child. <laughs> to, <laughs> that to, is the menace, you silly <clears throat> motherfucker. Well, you could be like the artful dodger. So it could go that way too, right? You know, Oliver That's Twist. a cool character. Yeah, that's, that's, a, cool, yeah. that's a cool character to be. Why am I throwing you a bone like this? I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Something's not right. Yeah. Get out of the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We got to get all our hostility out of the way because we have to behave for Mariana. John, I want you to be on your best behavior is what someone else would tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to, Paul is like, Paul is like, don't fuck this up. And I'm like, me? He's like, yes, you. No, look, look, he showed up. He showed up after all. There he is. Look at him. um, Paul Tremblay. There we go. Hey, Paul. Now it's just going to be the four of us sitting around going, where's Mariana? Where is she? Is she coming? Do you think I she's coming? I can't read Did Pat notes. mess up the time? Exactly. No. Did, was it 6 p.m. Argentinian time and 8 p.m. Eastern the time? shit out of that, man. Hi. Hello. Hello. You hear me? Yeah. I hear you. Uh, if there's anything that anyone, and this applies for everyone, if there's anything anyone says and you know a few days goes by and you're like, oh, I wish that wasn't said, um, let me know, email me, and I will cut whatever it is you guys want. 
That'll be everything John says. Wow. Wow. <laughs> no, I, was, I, I wish she did. I was I being nice. Saying. I was I was just wow. Wow. That's how Sorry. it's gonna be. Okay. <laughs> He's supposed I've, to be your friend, so uh, ouch. I thought so I've, too, yeah. But that's yeah. Not related to anything, but if you hear screams, I have like four teenagers downstairs and they asked for a horror movie recommendation. So I put on the descent. Nice. Um, yeah. So you can you can count down to that those screams. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just got through actually to me the scariest part is you know when they're going through that little small climbing through that really small tunnel. Marianne, have you seen that movie? I've seen the descent by a long time ago. Long time yeah. ago, yeah. I yeah. I yeah, I, I, I it was scary. But I saw it in at home, so you know. Hi, John. Hi, Marianne. Finally, it's, I meet you. I know. It's so nice to meet you. I've been so jealous <laughs> yeah. of Paul getting to spend time with you. <clears throat> oh, And well, he said, no, will. no, she's my friend. Stay away from her. <laughs> and no, but we will. I really, really like your work. Thank you. Likewise. Work, so, I am yeah. so privileged to have read our share of the night. I, oh, I thank just, you very much. I, uh, a man. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if there was, um, there, there was a Saturday Night Live skit where the comedian Chris Farley sat next to Paul McCartney. And yeah. he said to Paul McCartney, he's supposed to be interviewing him. And he just said, remember that time when you and the Beatles made that song and you all went na na na? Paul McCartney says, yes. And he said, that was really good. And that's how I feel. I just want to say, <laughs> that was remember awesome. when you wrote that novel? That was really good. That's, that's all I have to say. <laughs> and Paul, pa- Paul has like five pages of questions, apparently. Um, Oh. Yeah. So nah. yeah, just feel free to tell him. Just just give him the finger. Just tell him. <laughs> no, Paul Tremblay. No. Does anyone have any questions before we start? So can I say that I like pineapple on pizza? You say anything you want, John. You wrote the. This, is, this will be a clip. This will be a clip. <laughs> Mariana just. You do right have to off. deal with the consequences <laughs> of that <laughs> statement. But I like it. I like it. We were, we used to call it Canadian pizza because it had pineapple, ham, and, and green onions on it. I'm just well, you know. Really quickly, John. Do you remember this? Head? Oh, God. oh, so Paul is like, hey, you can stay in my son's room when you come to stay with me, and I was like, well, that's very nice. I'll have some privacy. And there was that head looking at me, and Paul was like, don't worry, and he just turned it so it faced the bed. <laughs> that was this past weekend yeah yeah paul yeah. do you pretend right. to be nice and do really horrific things off screen yeah short answer <laughs> yes yeah he's like here have these crackers and i'm like oh that's great and he's like oh you're allergic to shrimp those are shrimp crackers and then time i've eaten like five of them Alrighty, welcome to Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my friend, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we are joined by Mariana Enriquez. Say hello, Mariana. Hello. And we got two stellar co-hosts, uh, guest hosts, the guys that actually introduced us to Mariana's work, as well as our share of nights. That is uh, John Langan. Say hello, John Langan. Hello, John Langan author of The Fisherman, and um, let's not forget Mr. Paul Tremblay. Say hello, Paul. Hello. Mariana, what got you into horror? Oh, um, being a child, I think. I was a very lonely child, and my parents had a massive, like, uh, you know, their bookshelves were full of stuff, and I was, like, free reign with it. So I started reading, I don't know, Paul Lovecraft, Henry James, 
Borges, that has some scary stuff, Cortázar, I mean, everything. And uh, I was a child under the dictatorship, so it was kind of lonely. And I, we knew, I knew that something was very wrong out there. So um, that situation of being a child under an authoritarian regime with my parents knowing what was going on, um, I think I found solace in horror, which is kind of strange, but I think many people that get into horror fiction with, will tell you that they kind of found a friend or a language or a place of, I don't know, safety when they felt unsafe. So yeah, I think it was being a child in that circumstances. So kind of like a escapism, so you could not face the real reality of our, well, our reality of our. Um, yeah, I guess it's it's always. I guess at some in some point of when you're, you know, uh, with the work of horror fiction in in any in, in any version. I mean, a movie or or a book or or or, or whatever. It's a kind of rehearsal of the real horror of, of life but you're safe you can mm. live the same emotions but you're safe so i think i i needed that I, I needed something that mirrored the real fear that i had but you know when it was when it, when it finished it ended <laughs> it was okay so and and later Stephen King obviously, but I read Stephen King when I was twelve or something. These I these things I read when I was eight or or nine, like really young. Uh, yeah, wow. Um, our share of night. I just want to jump into that first thing, and then they'll branch into. I don't even know at this point, but can you give us a quick synopsis of the book and? We'll start there. I got other questions, but I'm sure the other fellows do too. So yeah, can you give us a quick synopsis for potential readers what our share of night is about? Yeah, okay. It's um but basically it's a, it's a general story, but it has a lot of politics and social commentary too. And it's kind of a coming of age story of this boy, Gaspar, that happens to be the son of a medium that works for um an organization called the Order that has a relationship with a god, a very god. It's called the darkness. The, any nothing is called. I don't like the use in horror very specific terms, like sometimes happen in science fiction. I like it very broad. Anyway, um, Juan the medium is a very damaged character, and the only thing he has is this boy, and he thinks that this boy. No, he that he knows that this boy inherited his powers that basically destroyed his life or kind of didn't let him have a life basically hmm. so the the book in part because it has many things but partly is the how he tries to save this boy from the same future um and the question is is it possible to escape from your heritage and from what is written in in a way so uh yeah that that's one way to summarize. I could find twenty more if you want. Oh yeah, it, it's a for those that don't know, it's a very thick book, and it, yeah. it's. Um, I'll offer my thoughts on it. I, I loved it, by the way. But uh, I want to hear from Paul and then John, and then after John, Brennan, jump in at any point. Uh, 
Well, hi again, Mariana. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, let, let's talk about Juan and Gaspar a little bit, um, especially sort of, you know, this isn't a spoiler, but there are what, four or five. I mean, there are sort of larger chapters of the book where it's broken up to when there's like a big time, time jump. But anyway, and the first and the first long one is with, you know, Juan with his son when his son is about six years old. And he's first sort of, as readers, we first sort of learn you know, that one is a medium and that like he fears that Gaspar has his powers too. Um, I guess all that to say is that <laughs> their, their father son relationship is so complicated and so messy uh, and realistic. Uh, and, and I love, I love uh, stories that are honest about, you know, what it feels like <laughs> to be a parent, like some of the negative and, and, and terrible thoughts, you know, that you have as a parent or as vice versa. Um yeah, so I don't know if I have a question that's like more like a rambling. I don't know, do you want to talk a little bit more about you know, the relationship between um, yeah. Juan and Gaspar? I, I guess I, of course, I'm not a son. And, you know, I did have a father, but my father was not like that at all. My father was an engineer, very into his, I mean, it has nothing to do with my life. But what I was thinking about a lot in terms of literature were many books about father and son relationships where the father and son relationships are very, very complicated. One is, of course, the Odyssey. Like, you know, other is The Road by Cormac McCarthy. There's another one that people kind of never mention, but to me is very obvious that is Firestarter by Stephen King. Mm. That has also a, a father is trying to protect the daughter. But the thing is that I didn't want the relationship of the father and the son to be just a relationship of unconditional love without anything, uh, without without any noise in that. Because this is a guy that is in the father. It's a guy that is, he's pansexual. He's almost a god himself. He's kind of, he's very sick, ill at the same time. And he's in contact with this, entity that gives him an enormous power and of course he loves the kid but he's not a normal person he's barely a person mm. and in he i mean in the in the realistic part there is the competition that you find between you know he's a very young man but he's a he's a, he's a man that is very sick so you know to have a son that is very healthy and and very nice and and everybody likes him is something that he really envies. He wants that body and he kind of has the possibility of taking that body in many ways. So it's all very distorted. He envies this boy. He has to hurt this boy for even ritualistic you know, motives and he does it because he has to, but there's some pleasure there in destroying this thing. That is a thing that he will never be. And of course, that doesn't happen in a normal father-son relationship. But you can see in fathers and sons, the competition, the, you know, the old man that the body is giving in and has to kind of, you know, see this new <laughs> uh, being that is growing up there. And, uh, and I, I didn't... And on the on the end of Gaspar, I wanted to portray how even when your father is very 
or your parent and father or a father or the, the person that is taking care of you is very abusive, the problem and the problem that causes a trauma, and I think the story is about trauma a lot, is that you can't help loving them sometimes. So, and you're very scared of them, but you always want them to change or you try to change them. And it's, you're put in an impossible position, but it's a position of love too, because he loves his dad. But he knows that his dad is absolutely dangerous, like an animal. So I, I thought about that a lot, about how human relationships have a lot of noise in the like we want to pretend that love is unconditional. We would never do anything bad to the people we love, but that's not true. And, you know, of course, it's generous, so it's taken to 12, 11, you know, 25, the volume. Right. But still, I, I, I wanted something of that dynamic that resonates as true, especially from Gaspar, because uh, Gaspar, you know, it's, it's just a boy that is, you know, abused by his father, not sexually abused, by the way, but... <laughs> You know, and um, and he always is like, you know, maybe tomorrow he's okay. And I have many friends that with a alcoholic parent, for example, is like, well, well but he, when he doesn't drink, he's very nice. And mm -hmm. you're always making excuses to other people and to yourself because you have to explain to yourself this love. And that's what happens to him. I also thought like the, the neighborhood's reaction to, you know, so in a later part of the book, the neighborhood's yeah. reaction to uh one also as like you know sort of making excuses and covering up for you know his physical abuse of his son yeah um, you know so all of that was heartbreaking you know with as you said add the genre stuff on to it because it does play with you know Juan's being cruel because he has to uh yeah. you know in some ways he does but of course you know that that's sort of the lie that one sort of falls under yeah there's things he needs to do to protect his son you know via yeah. the occult but he doesn't have to do it the way he's doing it no. Um, so I, I just found that their, their relationship utterly, you know, you know, so, you know, I, I mentioned complicated, but it was so fascinating and heartbreaking, uh, yeah. and authentic. It felt to me, I was really impressed. The cover up also, I mean, the, the justification of all the people around has a lot to do with the, with the era, like it's the eighties mm -hmm. and it's the eighties in Buenos Aires. So there's a lot, this is a young man. Uh, a very ill man that is a widow, as a widower, sorry, and he's uh, taking care of his son alone. That is a, like an impossible position because in the 80s still it was the position of the mother to do that. So people are like, oh, well, he's a man. He's kind of, you know, he's, uh, he's doing his best mm. because he's not the position that he should be in. So that also speaks a lot about how society used to work and how Society would never let a mother do that, or I don't know if that much, but a man that, you know, doesn't know how to do, they, they, they got a lot of permissions those days. And of course, it wasn't that common because he basically, the child would go to the grandparent or something. So mm. to, the, to the neighborhood, there's something heroic in what he's doing. Because they are also they don't know anything, we think. Right. Um, all up. Sorry, man. I'm going to jump in real quick. Good. I I'm so glad you asked that because that was, you know, one of my big thoughts is just the complexity of that relationship and the way that it added to that authenticity. Um, 
and just kind of the idea of of grayness of there the that there you know are all these problems between Juan and Gaspar that there is no perfection but that there absolutely unquestionably to the reader is love and i think that you know one thing that makes this 600 page book succeed is that kind of layer of complexity not just in this relationship but kind of in everything one moment that really stuck out to me is the mirror box and mm-hmm. One of the reasons it stuck out to me, dogs are angry, sorry. Um, One of the reasons it stuck out to me was just the difference in perspective from everybody involved, from Gaspar to the girl whose name is escaping me, I'm so sorry, (laughs) to the parents. Yes, yes, to the parents. And just the way that everybody looks at that situation differently. Um, No question, really, but I just that's something that caught my attention and um, I would like to throw it to John uh, to talk about the novel a little bit. Let's uh, throw it to you, John. Yes. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, I'm just writing down random things as we're, as we're talking, you know what I'm, I'm thinking about uh, since Mariana mentioned the Odyssey, you know, one of the things that strikes me is, is I, I teach the Odyssey every year and, and various other Greek myths and, and spend a great deal of time just telling the story, like, how do we get to the Odyssey? Because most of my students don't know it. And so I'm like, listen, this is how it goes. Uh, and they're just horrified. <laughs> they're just <laughs> horrified. But they're fascinated, you know? You, you know, the gods did what? And <laughs> it, it strikes me how in, in so many older, I guess, traditions the the gods you you really want to avoid them because the gods are capricious because there's just no way to know what they're going to do i mean unless you're like odysseus and athena likes you but even then because athena likes you poseidon might hate you i mean that's not exactly right but but so so that attracting the favor of one god that's great you know for as long as it lasts and then maybe one day athena decides i don't like you so much and and so <laughs> there's there's a way in which the relationship between gaspar and and juan takes that and and brings it into this you know into the a, a very very intimate focus oh my god dad is like a kind of a god you know he's 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 somewhere between or a demigod at least you know he's he's somewhere and if he weren't so physically disabled so so troubled he might be terrifying like like utterly terrifying it's almost i feel it's almost as if the 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 medical problems that he has they they humanize him in in some way they keep him from becoming like his his own pain his own fragility keeps him from becoming just you know terrible and and, and i think you know, supposition that that's what he's worried about for his healthy son, that if his healthy son is a medium, you know, what's to prevent him from, from going that, that route. Um, But uh, so obviously that was not a question in the slightest. Um, It did the the beginning of the, of the, the, the the parent child on the run also put me in mind of the beginning of Straub's ghost story. It's not a parent and child on the run, but you think, you think it is at first you think, Oh, the man's, you know, and and where are we going? And we're going far away. And, and, um, but also during that first section, they, uh, they travel North um, into a part of the country that I know you've written about before in some of your stories. And I'm going to be a typical American and just completely blank on the name, but, but there they encounter the, the, the church 
um, like there's a suggestion of one of the things I loved about the book and, and you've talked about this, I think not that I listen to other podcast guys, but I think you've mm-hmm. talked about it on the other po- I don't want them to think I'm cheating on them. Um, but they, the um, contract. <laughs> to, to cheat on you or, or not to, to not. Oh, okay. Okay. In that case, <laughs> I just made this up. Um, but you've talked about deliberately like wanting, and, and actually you mentioned it right now. So it wasn't on those other podcasts, but you've talked about mm. wanting to keep the supernatural elements like to leave a certain amount of vagueness, but or, if, or, or indeterminacy, maybe vagueness is not the right word because they're very specific. And yet there's this suggestion. And I think we get it as, as we move up into the country that there is just this whole context that we just don't understand we 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 can glimpse it we can we can see uh, ultimately we can see into the other world um but the other world it, in a way it doesn't add up by by our standards so many of the images seem to me to be taken from tarot cards the uh the yeah. hanged the hanged man yeah. but um i have a co-worker who gives me tarot readings so i kept thinking what is what's the reading here what you know um <laughs> So yeah, so so I I just um, uh, I don't know how it just you know wow that was great <laughs> sometimes you know <laughs> just yeah. to, to feel free or just ignore me and we'll go on to Brennan you know no but I I you know I there's a part I don't know how it's translated because I can't remember but that um, Gasparas asks Juan something about his uh, physical condition and he says oh you have to be thankful about my physical condition otherwise i don't know if you wouldn't been here at all like this is the only part of you know that keeps me this uh, illness this fragility uh, this vulnerability in a way keeps me human otherwise i don't know i i don't know where because he had the, doesn't have the energy to do certain things but yeah that part of the country this is the border with uh, paraguay and brazil and of course, Brazil has another language, but it's a very different country from Argentina in in many ways. Like uh, this, they are um, they are different. It's just it's amazing how a change of language and geography can make a country that is next to the other so different. Like they're very happy people. It's not a generalization. They are. There's a joy, the vivre they have that we don't really. We are like the goth uh, <laughs> country and <laughs> in the continent. And then Paraguay is a very, it's the one of the very few countries in, in Latin America that still, for example, keeps the language, uh, the Spanish with Guarani, that is the local language of the, of the indigenous people. And they mix it like you go there. I understand. I don't understand Guarani or very few words, but I go there and they start talking in Spanish and then they go on in Guarani. I'm like, like what? And it's very strange. <laughs> and Is that then, your reaction? <laughs> like, what is going on? And it's, you know, but they, they, they would, I think they would speak all Guarani, but they don't have the, the, the language is not, has, has not been transmitted complete or something like that. Or probably the Guaranis didn't have a word for, I, I don't know, uh, you know, football, something like that. Anyway, and um, this part is also very curious in the way that it's very mystic, 
like uh, my, my my family, I have an auntie that, for example, goes to the psychiatrist, but also goes to the huesero. Mm -hmm. The huesero is a guy that has a little pouch with bones and makes like, you know, magical things, whatever. And she doesn't know if she's feeling better because of the psychiatrist or the huesero. So she keeps going to both. And this is all integrated. And also to keep the example of my auntie, so you can see how that works in, in a way my that part of my family they are all like blonde and tall because they were married to german immigrants mm. and there's not i didn't choose one to be like tall and or I, I did choose one not to be like an indigenous person from there because i i thought it was like uh more pain on a body that has already been, uh, you know, been completely uh, destroyed in a way. They destroy their culture. They use them for the farms. They are, you know, it's, it's very, it was politically, it was very stupid because it was underlining something that everybody knows. And, um, and also it seems very exploitative to me. But there are, Swedish immigrants there, Lithuanian immigrants, Czech immigrants. Like you go there and it's very strange because it's this heat, it's this jungle and this, you know, tall, blonde men come from there and they completely forgot their language. And it's, it's a very mixed in every sense place. And uh, of course, being a border to me is a very liminal place of my country. I mean, this is this is my liminal faith. So I really wanted to, when the story goes very crazy and budget crazy and very mystical, I wanted to put it there. I could have chose other places because you know, in the you have this kind of you know mixtures everywhere. But this is the one I know, so I wasn't you know investigating too much or making things up or anything this is the territory of my family of my childhood and something i i really know maybe i don't share but i, I know i've seen that you know that church is a real church i've seen it and it's very strange mm. um and it's what was done by an italian like it says there it was done by an italian immigrant and you never understand why he done that diabolical kind of it's like a level very lovecraftian thing and i'm sure that he didn't hear about lovecraft in his life he just wanted to do something out of the divine comedy probably and then the church saw it and said no this is too much like this what are you doing this version of hell is absolutely you know, <laughs> even, unacceptable. The, even the church was like yeah no. It's kind of no. that's too much for us. Yeah, because it's kind of <laughs> rustic, so it gives you like like a very strange kind of fear when you look at it. It's like not you know not polished. It's very so they were like no no we don't want like an indigenous. This is it looked pagan I guess to mm -hmm. them, and mm -hmm. I guess this is the the vibe there and with the exuberance of the of of, of the vegetation and the the earth that is red, like visually, is very potent. So I kind of, it's like my southern gothic area, right, let's say. Right, right. Can I ask you, to, to just to pick up on the gothic thing? Yeah. Um, Nick Cave. Yeah. 
Okay. Like, yeah. like, and, and also to a certain extent, David Bowie's not Gothic, but, but I know that, the, that Bowie and Nick Cave have been very, at least it seems they've been very important to you in your life because, yeah. and, and that's, this is a tangent. I know it may have nothing to do with the novel, but just for my own curiosity, I have to ask, yeah. you know, can you talk about them, about, about the importance of, um, of their work to, I'm not sure that they necessarily had a huge impact on specifically on our share of the night, but just in general on your, on your aesthetic and your, your approach to, to writing. Well, in, in general, both of them in, in very different ways, like Bowie to me always, the, the androgyny first, and also in the androgyny, the changes to paraphrase him, like the, the ability to be always not being exactly what you think he is. And the, the, this kind of, where is he? The artifice, I, I kind of really understood the artifice and the masks with him, like even in uh, as using them in writing, how something is not what it seems. And also his beauty, his physical beauty was something very um, appealing to me. He had something kind of irresistible. He was, and he was not, and he looked very weird. If you, if you see the Siggy Stardust thing again, he looks a bit like a snake with those, like, the T's are wrong. And in that famous show, in when Siggy started to say goodbye, people were like having sex there. He was, I, I, I mean, the, 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 the ceremonies to get the darkness are a bit like a rock show. And I was thinking a bit in the, when I was watching that movie to think it was, it was very dark, you know, the concerts in the sixties are very dark, which is very strange. And they're, the people are in the dark and they were having sex to this man, God, star man, whatever. So there's, there is kind of, there is a reason why he's in the, in the book as a cameo, let's say. And he's one of the, of the, you know, lovers of Rosario at one point, and they speak about Borges and and mirrors, which is something that you know gives the thing of the double that I think Bowie was one of the themes in in his uh, one of the many themes in his work. And Nick gave to me, I love his take on religion and on mysticism, which is maybe not the most obvious thing that will come to you and. The violence, like the way he always uh, wrote about violence, and I'm turning red when I say violence. And uh, that was weird. Wrote, I know <laughs> uh, he always wrote about violence, and I was listening to him when I was very young, and I was never put off by it. I thought that he, this is a man exploring desire. This is a man exploring um, violence. This is a man ex- exploring death. In, in a way. And the fact that in the in the last years of his life, death came to his children. Like it's so very mythic in a way. It's like, you know, the gods are taking vengeance on you, man. You messed with it too much. And yeah, and there's also this power on stage when you are capable of, you know, transforming into something else that to me was very important in the character of, of Juan and in a, a, a bit in the in the character of Stephen, that is kind of a, it's like a, the guitar player, isn't it? Something like that. 
John, you got anything else? I don't want to interrupt on this. I, topic. I will like, I will, uh, but I'm going to wait for Brennan to start talking and then I'm going to interrupt him. <laughs> John okay. stole my so music I, question. No, he didn't interrupt me. He muted himself. That's fine. Um, so actually, since you brought up violence and since your screen turned blood red and obviously the gods yeah. want us to go in that direction. Um, I had read an interview where you said something about the importance of readers understanding your, the violence in your, in your work in context. Uh, yeah. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. Well, I, I, in general, don't have a problem with violence, and I don't think it has to be justified because we live in a very violent societies, let's say. So uh, that violence appears in a work of fiction is absolutely normal to me, and uh, and even and even necessary because sometimes when you put violence in a work of fiction, it's kind of more memorable. And um, you know, I always, I always, for example, I know it's not because Paul is there, but I always read that doesn't happen that much here. But I know in America you get a lot of uh, you know intruders in your house. So you even have a phrase for it, but it's not very common here. And uh, I always thought that oh, that's scary. But when I read the novel, the cabin, I was like, oh, that's how it feels. <laughs> and uh, you know, because. There's something about the truth of fiction that, that makes it more real than reality. But to me, it's, it's important when I can talk about it, because I think that you can read the book without knowing this. But when I can talk about it, I think it, it's important for, for, for people to know that this is a novel that starts in the 80s when the country was under a dictatorship that were making bodies disappear, throwing bodies to the river, torturing people making pregnant women having children in the back of cars and taking them, taking their children and giving to another families and then killing the mother without even let them like hug the child for once. And all this information came like in the second part of the novel, what's in the background and all this thing about the, the, this girl Omaira that is true story. And I saw this girl dying in Colombia under uh, well, there was a volcano and then a landslide and she died in the landslide and there was a climate of um, we were learning in the media everywhere the crimes of the dictatorship not just in my country but many things that were happening in Chile and everywhere like the 70s were the 70s and the early 80s were very 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 um violent in latin america so people were very used to it so putting a girl that was dying on television and letting everybody see her agony that also was very intrusive because what, what can be more private than this uh we were exposed to this all the time like i remember my father uh, when we, we we were one of the few uh, countries that got their dictatorships to to the court and they had the a trial and um, the movie is nominated for an Oscar. It's not very good, but it's important historically and kind of puts in perspective what that was. But you can see even in the movie, and this is completely true. I I I read some reviews and I was like you know screaming to the review, but it was like that because they watch 
with the children, someone talking about the tortures, how the tortures were, listening to the testimony of the victims. Everything is very horrifying. And I can remember my father, it would never, you know, enter his mind to not let me hear this. On the contrary, he thought he was his, his civic duty to let me know all this so I could understand how awful this was and why this could never happen again. So I was sitting with him, listening to the radio, to this awful stuff. And I remember my dad saying, see, see, see what they done? See what this, you know, MFs did? And um, so it's important to me that the context in, 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 in this way, that we are talking about a place and a time that was randomly a violent in the discourse, in what was happening, and to me was completely normalized. So to write a novel about that period and even of the aftermath of that period, violence is normalized. And uh, it's unfortunate, but, <laughs> but you know, I, is, is there something I really don't like in literature is dishon when it's dishonest. And especially when it, you know, tries to make nice something that wasn't. It was awful. And uh, so, so yeah, you, you know, I, I thought when, when I was writing that sometimes I was going very far away, but I can tell you a thousand true stories that are, you know, further than this. And people tell you, but if there's so many awful things in the world, why write about them? Well, because of this effect that I was writing, that I was telling you before, it gives you, when you read it, the truth that fiction has. Because otherwise it's one horrifying thing after the other and then no one cares. And then there's a war here and, you know, a mass shooting there and, and whatever. And, and I think in my childhood and my teenage years, it was very much like that. Horror was in the air and it was real. Yeah, and you, you kind of touched on a little bit just the idea of keeping the memories, I guess, alive in, in the vein of if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it um, and allowing readers to kind of glimpse into readers who would not be familiar with that history or who are from another part of the world to just kind of see here's what happened here and we can't we can't allow that to you know repeat itself yeah and also when i was when i think about it sometimes i i also think how much i don't know of the violence that happened in other places like uh you know this uh this a, a million things going on and I think horror is a perfect genre to talk about it because again it gives you it gives you that sensation back because otherwise I was talking to Fernanda Melchor that is a Mexican writer and she always thinks about how to write about violence being from Mexico because it can be so extreme and can be so aestheticized too. What was her name? Sorry to interrupt. Fernanda Melchor. It's uh, I think one of her paradise is one of her novels is uh, just translated and it's very, very good. It's like a 
very very violent short novel that is like a bullet to your head it's called um, paradise paradise yeah okay thank you but 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 spell wrong like paradise not d-i-c-e like yeah gotcha and uh because it's kind of the name of the resort where, where it, what what happens happens that i can tell you because it's very short but the you know and he's all she's always thinking about it and i think we we you know the people of my generation in their 40s we are we grew up on that so we are really thinking about it and in these other countries like brazil of mexico there is or colombia even they are still living with, with with that so how you how you how you put it in fiction and so yeah so it's um i think violence is a huge problem for a writer and also a huge responsibility for 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 a writer but i don't think you you, you have to be timid you have just to be true as much as you can that's great um yeah i when i when i read the novel the thing that continuously struck me especially since i just read it a second time <laughs> you know the, the juxtaposition of violence that wasn't tinged at all with the supernatural and then mm. the the violence that was and you know i don't want to call it a trick but like you know it almost was a trick but it made the real violence seemed more disturbing in a way, you know, with the yeah. comparison uh, and not that the supernatural violence wasn't disturbing either. Uh, now, uh, amazing. L let me uh, build off of that to talk a little bit more about sort of the supernatural elements or the occult elements. Yeah. Um, another thing that I, I, I thought you did an amazing job with and marveled at was just how organic the references to the magic, to the occult that were in the book Um there wasn't a lot of explanation. There wasn't like, you know, here are the rules of this magic. It was just more sort of almost like you're introduced to it almost like in media res um, as to, you know, as to how it works or as how, how Juan sort of navigates and then eventually Gaspar too. I don't know, but also at the same time, it's like, wow, does, <laughs> did Mariana like spend a lot of time studying the occult? I'm curious, like, you know, that part of the book, did you find that super challenging or was that easier to write about that stuff as opposed to what you know obviously the dirty war and everything that actually happened around you yeah i i mean i was interested already which you can guess but i i had to delve a bit like uh, go a little more into it obviously the order is based on the hermetic order order of the golden dawn that and that has a lot to do with the fact that Bram Stoker was there, Alistair Crowley was there, mm. WB Yates was there, and also they did the like uh, very very nice tarots where it was a lot of women there. They had a lot of uh, presence of women, so it's obviously based on that. But I had to I read like two histories of the order that I didn't use anything. <laughs> Hmm. But you know, you get into it, and then I got into rituals and all this kind of thing, and I, I, I used some, but which would what is very, I mean, I can, I can't remember anything now, so it's not I'm going to, you know, start <laughs> calling because it was a long time ago, but and it was all in the books, but Arthur Machen that I, I imagine I, I, I can't really say his name, but I love it like the Great God Pan. I don't know how many times I read hmm. that short mm. story and at one point at one point a woman comes to argentina which was very well in the 30s we were very rich yeah. and you know glamorous and um 
I um, yeah, I studied a lot, but it, it wasn't difficult. But one thing that happened that is very curious is that when I uh, wrote some of the you know the, the the rituals or the or even putting some of the symbols, I changed them just in case. It's not that I believe, but I thought, I don't want this to be a manual. This is one mm. thing. This is fiction. But also, I don't want this to open anything. And I felt a bit silly. But then, <laughs> I, you know, there's a great um, movie by a, an Irish... Uh, a dark song. Filmmaker, a dark song, yeah. Yeah. And the filmmaker did the same. I was listening mm. to a podcast the other day and every symbol, everything that happens in that house, all the words that I said, he changed it a bit. Because when you change it, magic, and this I learned a bit from Alan Moore, I guess I was reading him a lot too, is, you know, saying things in a determined order to make a change in reality. That it's a bit what language is and literature is. You say things in a you know in a in certain order and something happens. Here's a story. Mm. Here's a poem. Here, and uh, so that was a very useful concept to me. But at 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 the same time, it was like there is this part of magic that is everything you do, even if you do it for good, it comes back. Like you know what's above. As, as below is a, as above is below mm -hmm. I can say it in Spanish como es arriba es abajo but I can't remember how is it in English so I was just in case let's not open this study it like you know like we are like <laughs> in, in Victorian era interested in this kind of thing but let's not play with this because once you enter that you realize that it's a it's a it's a system. It's a you, you know you enter Enochian magic, chaos magic, John D. You, you saw that it that it has a history and uh, like it's heavy stuff. Even when they were wearing ridiculous gowns and 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 doing what you can you know think you know they were with swords and and, and whatever. But there's a lot of very um for lack of a of a, of a better or very heavy energy there. And you can feel it when you're reading and what was going on. That and so I was like, I don't I don't want, you know. And the same I did with the local occult things, like with the local saints, San La Muerte right. or Gauchito Hill. There's a whole at one part San La Muerte is like a, it's where well, I have it here. It's this little guy here. The, you can see mm. it, you know. It's in my ring. It's very popular, as you can see. This I I haven't made this ring for myself. I just bought it somewhere. Well, mm -hmm. my husband bought it for me, but this is my wedding ring. But anyway, <laughs> um, the San La Muerte that is Saint Death, uh, very different from the Me Mexican, but you know near that and other lore and other things are quite spooky. I put like the whole prayer. To San La Muerte by change a lot of words. So mm. if you say it out loud, it won't work because it has to be said in a certain way. Um, it's the same saying in the in the Dirty Kid, correct? That that's yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I kept, th- I mean, that was the first story of yours I've read. So, but I think there's a lot of parallels between this novel and that, yeah. and that story. Yeah. Especially in the, in the lore that I choose, because, you know, there's a lot, but those are the ones that are, I'm more familiar with and they're very present in the city, for example. You can walk and find a little sanctuary to Gauchito Hill, for example, that is like a gaucho, like Argentinian gaucho, but all in red. And the red is not because he's dressed in red, but it's blood, basically. So when sometimes when I speak about, um, you know, context is these kind of things that you can enjoy it anyway. But the thing is that he was decapitated. He's full of blood. and. Uh, he but he's nice but you know we say the same thing about john he's full <laughs> yeah. of blood but he's, <laughs> he's nice blood, but he's nice <laughs> so we we talked about wearing um, my red shirt yeah <laughs> <laughs> Mariana, at one point you mentioned uh germans in argentina talked about the occult um <clears throat> i don't know if anyone else is gonna bring it up but uh for those that don't know a lot of Nazi Germans went to Argentina to escape. So, and they were heavily studying and known for uh, practicing the cult. I was wondering if there's anything that, um, like, I've seen I've seen certain documentary documentaries on it, but I was wondering if you have anything, any like comments on that that maybe is only knowledge to people from from that from Argentina. Um, if not, we can move on to another question. Not really. I mean, I um, but I kind of, I mean, I kind of uh, that's part of the history. But I kind of try to say with the order, they, if they were working or they were working in the forties, they would, they would work with the Nazis. Now they're in the 70s in Argentina, so they're working with a dictatorship. The, the Nazis were gone or they were already, you know, being uh, taken to trial in Israel, most, most of them, anyway, at that point. Hmm, interesting. And um, so, um, yeah, they were, m- most of them were, uh, and then one of the big ones, Mengele, went to Brazil. Therefore, hmm. Ira Levin's, uh, the, 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 the children of Brazil, uh, yeah, because... Yeah. That's kind of true, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know the, he, that he obviously didn't know what happened there, but he was there. And um, so, I mean, all this evil, you know, it's in a way kind of represented in the in this order that controls bodies that has impun total impunity. They're not just rich, because I I didn't want to do like you know the. This very kind of, I've seen a lot of this very trendy, let's blame it on the rich, kind of on the conspiracy theories about, you know, the very rich and powerful in Hollywood. It's not that. It's more like a political thing. It's more like um, uh, sometimes when when things go very, very crazy in politics, they go to a lot to the occult. It's quite amazing. The Nazis were, were, were to the occult, but for example, in Argentina, even the the the, go, the, the government before the, the dictatorship, it had a spiritualist in mm. Hermano Daniel, brother Daniel, and he was um, using the body of Eva Perón that was uh, she's embalmed, 
that was in a glass cage in the house of Peron, trying to make this other woman that was the wife of Peron and it was president now, to get some of the charisma of this dead woman. So she was lying on top of the glass coffin. You know? And it's this super was, creepy. <laughs> it's super <laughs> creepy. And um and yes, the Nazis went with the with the you know with the with all the Arthurian kind of myths and you know trying to get the, the Grial and, and stuff. So there's always a, a part when it goes crazy. If you if you ever care to listen now to the authoritarian regime in Nicaragua, they are doing things about you know trying people to pray to this to to a virgin. It doesn't necessarily have to be the occult in that sense, but the mystical, let's say, because when they start to lose earthly power, let's say. They go completely ballistic, and they try to to go into into this. I, I don't know if you know that the, the body of Eva Perón was also kidnapped. No, I didn't. She was kidnapped when she died. Uh, oh. And taken <laughs> to, well, first the body was, as a mummy, it was a mummy already. The mummy was running around Buenos Aires for a while, and at it ended up with uh, a colonel, I think, that was completely crazy and raped the body, among other things. Ooh, and uh, so the president was a military president, but he was more or less a decent person and said, well, this is over. And we take her out of the country. They were scared that if she stayed here, the body, there will be a cult around her. Now you kind mm -hmm. of... You, when I tell you those things, you kind of get the context, you know, <laughs> that yeah. there's going to be a cult around her. So they buried her in Milan under a different name. Mm. Wow. And eventually, uh, Peron that was living in Spain in exile got someone to to give her back to him in the in the, you know in the in the military government because we had many. The more the bloodiest was the last one, but we had many before, and. Uh, he got it, but he got her back, her body, and there started this thing with the spiritualist guy <laughs> and the new wife because the new wife was very dumb, the poor woman. So they were trying to get some of Eva's charisma to her. So they were using the body. So you see, wow. and I'm sure if I go to Brazil and I ask them ab about them, they will come to me with some story with Afro-Brazilian religions and their presidents. I'm 100% I'm sure about this because this is what happens when they when it goes too crazy. Um, I got one more question then. Um, uh, whoever wants it, I'm going to throw that out there. Um, what's the reception been like for English-speaking audiences or readers compared to... Because this came out initially... Um, in your native tongue, Span uh, Spanish, right? Uh, yeah. Twenty nineteen. Did it come oh, up then? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, a few years ago, in two thousand nineteen. But I mean, the, the the you mean the reception between difficult to because I'm here and I'm, I'm with the you know with the with the readers here that are very oh, sure sure like rabid fans and I get a lot of fan art and, and and things like that it's very weird because it's not only young people but you know people of my generation that kind of get um 
I don't know, there's some things that are very resonant to, to, to them. But then in Spain, they don't know much about the history. I mean, we have the same language, but it, that doesn't mean that they know a lot about Latin America. And uh, and it really works there. So you never know. You never really, it, it works a lot in France. So it's like the, you know, they are the kings of Cartesian thinking, apparently, but they're not because <laughs> they kind of really like it. For some reason, I think they are remembering when they were into Baudelaire and Rimbaud. And, you know, <laughs> remember that they had a symbolist past, and you know that they were there was crazy shit there too. Yeah, of course. That's um, funny. Uh, sorry, because sorry, I had a question. Go, go, go. I, I know John's next, but like, no, no, that's was totally going, fine, Paul. Just go ahead. It's very Run brief. All over me. Just that's talked all right. about it. Paul's a big <laughs> shot now. He can do whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah, he wants. Paul's a big yeah. shot. <laughs> He's got the M Night Shyamalan. Mute, mute him. That's mute totally him now. Cool. <laughs> no, because um, seeing like seeing the response uh, from fans on Insta- on social media, it's been actually been kind of fun because I have I've seen like all the people. And it seems like a lot of really young people responding to this book, you know, in Europe and in other places. Um, so I was going to ask you, like, what, what do you think? I mean, here's this novel that's really in conversation with obviously the dirty war, but everything that had happened really almost like a 30, 40 year period, over, you know, in Argentina. And here are these, like, you know, we'll call them like early 20s, maybe even younger people yeah. drawing pictures of Juan and Gaspar, et cetera. What do you think, you know, aside from maybe the obvious is that the best stories, even if they are set years ago, they are they are always talking about the now. Is there something in there that you think is really sort of maybe, that's uh, probably a hard question for you to answer, but speaking to especially the younger fans or younger readers? I think the younger readers get a lot of, you know, Gaspar is a character that really appeals to them. And I think um, there is something about the complexity of the relationships, especially with the older generation that they kind of get. And also there's something a bit edgy, I, I think. And I, I say I say this in the, in the best way mm. possible because I, I was the same when I was 15 I, I, I wanted edgy things <laughs> you know slightly dangerous yeah. things that were not very perhaps appropriate for my age and also there's been like of this you know complete change in the how we talk about gender and sexuality and stuff so all these characters are kind of pansexual partly is because I you know I I'm kind of in that wavelength but also it has to do with the uh, reasons within the the logic of the book because they are into ritual magic. So they really have to, you know, the magical androgynous beings and, you know, the, it has to, um, ma- magic, you know, uh, doesn't have the, you know, the, the two, Right. Gender, sex, it's it's yes. like a more fluid kind of thing. So it has it has that logic, but I I think that that uh, appeals because for young people it's a very important thing now, and uh, I realize that it appeals to them a lot, and they're I I guess they're kind of um uh I, I don't know they, they it's kind of strange to them that an old woman gets it i don't know if i get it completely this is the logic of of the novel and it's kind of my life i mean i'm i'm you know i'm i come from punk rock i come from rock and roll to me i, mm. I don't come from a conservative at all uh, wavelength so you know 
but I think there's something about that that there is not it's not a, a book that teaches them good manners or how to behave or how to be you know they are all quite evil <laughs> or quite you know or quite ambiguous and mm. I think sometimes a fiction for for young adults can be very uh, pedagogic and and silly and their young people are smarter than that i mean you have young kids you know how smart they are mm. and they get you they they see you coming from a mile so i think you know so i think they even if they're more protected than we were but but uh i i guess there's there's this a bit of that but i can't really point put my finger on it i i there's sometimes i, I don't understand Yeah. Like I love that's, you. They're like, that's a great like why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know me. But yes, it's crazy. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, you're not an old woman. You're 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 definitely younger than John. Okay, John. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually true. So yes, you're you're not you're not old. In fact, it's probable you're younger than Paul as well. That's true. So um I yeah, think so. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, to, to, no. <laughs> um, I was giving the finger for anyone that's listening. No, well, I, was, I, was saying, <laughs> I was saying, John's taking out a chainsaw. It's, uh, um, well, no, actually, what was fascinating to me before, you know, is is so Paul often makes fun of my musical taste, yeah. um, and my <laughs> cinematic and my cinematic taste, but no, Paul is music. Paul is is very much um, a, 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 a to the heart punk rocker. As mm -hmm. as my younger son, he's he's kind of punk rock and metal anyway. But like, and one of the things that I've always loved and respected about Paul is is that his kind of as I see it, his aesthetic as a fiction writer is this kind of punk rock aesthetic that says, "I am not going to pander. I I am not going to make this sweet to you. I'm going to I'm going to to give it to you, you know, as honestly as I can." And I uh, so when you were talking about horror as you know, the genre that tells the truth or, or at least, you know, tells the truth through stories or however you want to put that, but that it's the genre that says, no, <laughs> no, yeah, things exactly, are, yeah. there is violence in the world and horrible things happen to children and yeah. people go into houses and never come out of them. And um, if you, you can get hung up on the details, but there's no real monsters or, you know, the, the, there's no, you know, uh, that's beside the point you're missing the larger yeah the larger point. And, and so I, I think of, I, I think that that, that punk rock aesthetic um, as I'm calling it, you know, I, I, I think that that's um, in, in a weird way. I don't want to I hate talking about morality, but it's at least that it's at least kind of ethical to, to yeah. try to acknowledge the darkness um, big D small D in, in the world. Um, and it's funny because when you were talking about, the way that authoritarian regimes move so quickly uh, towards the sort of religious, I mean, what was, what was Trump doing? Holding up the Bible upside down, but still holding up the Bible. <laughs> um, I mean, some would say that was a sign, you know, yes. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I'm sorry not to make this for American listeners overly political, but you're going to have to deal with it. It's all right. Um, I don't like him either. And, and you <laughs> saw that you saw the way that Trump and the religious right moved towards each other. This yeah. is our guy. This guy will give us what we want. And never mind all the compromises and the hypocrisy and, and whatever. So it just, it, it strikes me, man, that is just, it, it's a constant. It just, it, it and, and yeah. 
Sadly, the church is like, democracy? Do we really need it? Is it really such a good thing after all? We can do without it as long as as long as it's our guy, you know, like, like yeah. All right, yeah. as long as it's our church. <laughs> as long as and it's if our it's, church. If your guy says the wrong thing, we'll just get a new guy. Yeah. But actually, what fascinated me, okay, so was on another podcast I certainly wasn't listening to. You talked <laughs> okay. about the figure of the in in Vuncha. Oh, yeah. um, and getting that from Alan Moore's Swamp Thing first. And yeah. I was like, I loved Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. That was <laughs> so important to my development as a writer, um, yeah. reading him and, and reading what, like, you know, because he was bringing his reading of Faulkner and so on to the Swamp Thing. But it was yeah. like also all this crazy, it was the same kind of, and maybe I'm drawing a parallel between what I was talking about earlier and what you do in the novel, where, you know, you suggest this vast, like everything is connected. We don't necessarily know how it's all connected, but there's yeah. a sensation that there are all these connections. And, you know, in, in Moore's run, certainly in the first however many issues, you know, he's bringing everything together and he's saying, no, all these different characters, they're all related. And he makes up John Constantine, but he also brings in all these other people. And I know yeah. he gave you, uh, I know he gave you a blurb for the, for the book. I know. Um, I know. And I, I thought that died. must've been like an amazing moment. I almost die. And he <laughs> sent me his, uh, then he sent me his book of short stories and said to my friend, Mariana, I've never talked to him. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I'm, you know, I'm telling people, I mean, I'm friends with Alan Moore. I'm friends with Alan. And, uh, and uh, yeah, because, I mean, John Constantine is obviously uh, an influence in the in the book. Um, but the Invunche, and, and From Hell, too, in a way, because the, the second chapter of From Hell, there is a masterpiece. When he starts to, you know, telling you this is related to this, and yeah, this yeah, architect yeah. is this, and this, you know, the social... Um, cleansing of the, it was already there in all the signs and this has to do with the, the Victorian era but also with Thatcher and yeah, you yeah. can see it, it's like wow and he tells you, you know, history we can say as we said before, we have not to repeat the mistakes but we do yeah, this yeah. is what this is what's going on, so that attitude of punk rock is always, you know trying to remember that we are flawed the the first punk rockers would let's make ourselves ugly let's make ourselves violent not really but let's look like that yeah, yeah. Because let's, we are a let's mirror. play we we know three chords let's play those three chords <laughs> exactly <laughs> because we are a mirror of you know let's be minimalistic and you know and awful because this is what they are giving to us so we are a reflection of that in a way but yeah i this that was my you know but I, I always like Springsteen and Dylan and the, you know, the poets because yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, a writer. Yeah. So I was trafficking that. I was like, ah, and then, you know, doing a bit of blonde on blonde on the side. But anyway, <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, the Invunche is like, it's a, it's a legend of the South, of Chile, of the South of Chile, where supposedly there's an island that is ruled by the, uh, well, brujería is called it's, uh, you know, witch, witches, all male, and the the it's very cruel. It's very long, also the 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 lore of that of that. But it's only in one little island in the south of Chile, not anyone anywhere else. And um, the guy that guards the cave where they live is the Imbunche, that is this child that they 
get when it's a baby and they basically destroy they make a hole here they put the little leg go there and they feed him human flesh and it's kind of a monster but it's kind of a monster also because they destroy they destroy their their innocence they they made it you know they made it a monster and the first time I saw that, I, I knew that it existed because I knew about the legend. But the first time I saw it in some kind of literature was in something. And I was pretty amazed because I was like, oh my God, like in Latin America, we are not using this. And comes this British guy with the long hair and looking spooky. He's using <laughs> it. And what's going on? And then I read it in Bruce Chadwin's in Patagonia. Right, right, right. And I was like, okay. Again, this little uh, beautiful British man comes because he had some kind of, I, I can't remember what kind of fish his grandfather had or something, kind of, some leather in his house. And he always wanted to come to Patagonia. And he gets, and he has three pages of describing this legend. And we don't use it because we think it's superstition, because this is a, a, a continent that is still very racist. And in literature, it shows a lot because literature is like the citadel of the white and superstition can't come in. Indigenous beliefs can't come in. You know, we are looking at Europe more than looking actually at, at America. I think it would be more open that way. But the new generations don't have that because we are already all that fiction of the Paris of South America is gone. We've been through hell. We've been through the whole Latin American experience, you know, of uh, so uh, that's gone. And when I think when we realize that's gone, all those irrational things that are part of our culture are growing in our literature because they always belong there. It was all, all, only a discrimination and an operation of, of the, because there's lots of power also in, in literature on what sure. can be said, what not can be said. And at whole writers, we know that, you they push you aside for no reason you know yeah, and you always kind you? of yeah you always kind of justify ourselves like saying oh but henry james wrote the term <laughs> of the crew you oh, know? believe I, me I, yeah and it really it really puts me in a bad mood because sometimes i do it too i do it like you know oh but this is you know it's henry james and he was writing about ghosts you wrote a book which has not been translated, which frustrates me because as an American, I only know one language um, and barely that. But you wrote a book on Sylvina Ocampo. Yeah. Um, what was the impetus there? Because I only know her work in, in English, but, I, you know, I, I, I thought, oh, well, is she I presume she's important to you. But I just wondered if you could talk about, about that for a moment. Well, she's a short story writer that was a very uh, upper class woman, but didn't she was the best friend of Borges, and but she didn't do like socially anything that was expected from her. She didn't do charity stuff. She didn't dress well. She, her hair was a mess. And she um, used her money to do whatever she wanted. And she her short stories are of a cruelty, so and of a black humor so intense that I remember reading her very young and not understanding it. I was, I, I don't understand. And this is my language and this is my, you know, the, the names of the streets I recognize, but this, you know, disdain 
and uh, this, you know, fury that was in her stories, I didn't understand. And uh, for example, there's a, there's, I make it short, there's a very um, famous story that is about a very rich woman that wants a velvet dress in the, in the middle of the summer. So she asks for her uh, servant to go pick it for her. And uh, this woman has to go, you know, in a day that she's not supposed to work. And you can see all the, how bad she's treating her. This is very classic of the upper classes in this country. Sorry, I'm trying to make it me not red. And, um, and she ends up, dying basically of the heat of the of the velvet but it's it's kind of a of a of you know a curse that this woman but it's a class i didn't i didn't understand it because it's a class satire but it was written from the point of view of the servant not of the rich woman she was like you deserve this you are awful people and she was like so blunt in this i can't be that blunt I'm always trying to be more ambiguous, but she was like, and um, I think some, it was suggested to me because to make a nonfiction book is a lot of work, much more than a fiction book, yeah. because you have to investigate, mm. you know, have conversations with people. People are difficult. You have to do interviews. You have to, you know, I mean, you have to read all the academic stuff and then you have to read all her work Thankfully, she didn't keep a diary because that, you know, kills you when you're doing right, something right. like that. But when they offered her to me, I, I said yes. First, because it's one of the few women that were writing those days. And this is because she was rich, basically. But also because there's a, there, there, there's a fury and, a, and an observation of class in, in her writing and of cruelty and of the cruelty of 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 diff of you know when there's such a class gap that is impossible to you know su such injustice isn't in a society and uh, and she does it with a lot of black humor because she knows that she's part of the problem so that's why i didn't understand it because she's very complex and uh, and that's why i decided to go into that complexity and that helped me a lot for our share of night and making the the characters of, of the rich people because to be honest before that i've never been in a in a you know in a mansion <laughs> but when i was doing that that uh that investigation i was in a lot of them and uh you know i could describe them before that i wanted them in our share not to be rich but i was like and how exactly does it look a house of rich people here that is not a movie like you know so yeah, yeah. it was helpful. Yeah. Well, I hope it gets translated. I'm sorry because I'm lazy and it's not as if I'm going to learn Spanish. So I'm just like, <laughs> oh, translate it for me. Your poor, <laughs> your poor translator. I'm like, get to work on that. Come on. <laughs> I think the only mansion I've ever been in, I want to say, is they do tours in this part of uh, Rhode Island where you can, let, I think it's like during Christmas time where you can pay to walk in a mansion. Beyond that, Blue collar here. And I think all you guys are too. Um, throwing out that random tidbit. So I just wanted to get to. Well, Tremblay, Tremblay used to be blue collar, but not anymore. <laughs> not anymore, oh. man. I'll tell you. You should see the place he's living in now. It's got weird little heads in it and everything. 
Oh. Really? Look, wow. look, he's going to show you. Look, look at that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there it is. That's my non-horror son. I don't know why he has that. <laughs> One of my best friends lives in the same town that Paul does. And I think. Wow. What's that? I promise I... he's not here. What is that? Yeah, it's not here either. No. <laughs> it was Brendan. Paul, what are you doing? <laughs> Threw up a train of thought, jerk. <laughs> Someone lives in the same town as Paul and spies on him on a regular basis. Yeah, I don't him. know. He oh. gives you daily reports of what Paul is doing. He's like, he has this strange little head that he, he calls it his non-horror son. We don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, so He's very things, tall. Man. He's still very tall. He just got a haircut not that long ago. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that reminded me, but we got a question for you from, from Twitter. And uh, someone asked, thanks for, uh, uh, sorry, read the wrong thing. Was the haunted house that Gaspar and his friends visit visited where they lose, well, excuse me, lose yeah. Adela? based on a house in real life? No. No, not at all. Um, there was a house I d- didn't like in my mother's neighborhood they, that we never saw anybody come out of it or go in. That that was very spooky. And I always kind of asked in the neighborhood who lives there, nobody knew. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of a, a little suggestion, but, but no, it's... Um, if anything, it's taken a bit from House of Leaves of Daniel. <laughs> Paul loves that book. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, so you also use that house, right, in a short story? Yeah. 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 I took the house from the short story to the novel because I needed a house that eats people, basically. And I was like, oh, I read, I wrote it already, and I liked how it was in the in the short story. So it was the early stages of the novel. So I said. Well, let's bring the girl too to see what happens. And it opened everything. It was amazing. Hmm. But my plan was the house at first, not the girl. The girl has. Yeah. There's uh, one other question, not from today, but last week. Someone, and if you don't want to answer this, that's fine. Uh, or we could cut this part. Someone asked if you're ever coming back on Twitter. I know there's probably at least, I saw at least one article on it. If you, like I said, if you don't want to answer that more than okay, we can pass. I'm, I'm, I think my life is better without Twitter, basically. We should follow your lead. It's too, it's, <laughs> That's it's, true. Too, it's too aggressive and it's too silly. And I get, I, you know, I get mad and I end up in stupid arguments with people. And, you know, because I, I, I should, understand. I should not, but I should, but I can't let it pass sometimes. And I go to bed. This is, I remember like the early days of the internet when you were in newsletters and stuff like that. And you were like thinking, mm, or in, you know, in a, and no, I have to answer this. And you were like in two in the morning answering some point about something. I said, no, I'm, you know, I can't waste time like this anymore. So no. Uh, that, so. that is but smart. not because I'm scared of, 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 of the, you no, know, no, no. You know, getting into an argument or, or anything. It's just, <clears throat> It, it was like relieved and I was like, why are we doing this to ourselves? You know, it was very, I don't know. It feels like Paul I, has a comment. So Paul, am I misreading that? Misreading. No, I, I would say like, I, <laughs> we should like, I just said we should follow her Twitter lead. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 
since I cut off John before, John, do you have something or, or Actually, I did I did have a question because yeah. Mariana, I have the sense that you and Samantha Schweblin are yeah. friendly or or and I, I was thinking, you know, for, for various reasons, which mostly have to do with the fact that we're both old. Um, Paul and I have been talking in in recent you know months just kind of remembering what it was like when we got together like like we just met each other at a at a convention and we yeah. were on a panel together and we we liked each other's work and John followed me up to my hotel room I was like I did I was, I was like he was he was he, followed, he was like key man yeah he was like buy my book it's a whole long story he was like <laughs> I was like I only have ten dollars he was like really and I was like okay I have twenty dollars so I bought his book but like our and, and and that friendship has been one of the great friendships of my life. And it's, it's led to like a certain kind of, I don't know, you know, like, like artistic inspiration back and forth. I, I read Paul's stuff sometimes and I think I got to do better. I, I got to do better because, you know, um, uh, Peter Straub had 20 or 30 years on me. So if he was better, I could say, well, he's been doing it for 20 years longer than I, I have, know. but yeah. you know, I read the Paul bearers club and I'm just like, mother, um, because <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, this is, this is as good as it, as it gets, you know? And, and so I don't know, I, I just, I think there are people like, you know, Laird Barron and, and so on that, that are also part of our, our, you know, friend group. And it's the same thing. We're just friends. But I think to myself, sometimes I like think, man, like a hundred years from now, how will this look? I mean, assuming we're, you know, how will the old. cockroach humanoid <laughs> creatures enjoy our novels? Like, yeah. We do. We see the three of them together. Were they gods? Were they devils? Probably devils. <laughs> but do you find that yourself that, that you have other writers? And I, I mentioned Samantha because that's just the only, you know, that you have a similar relationship with or. I, I do this. Um, yeah. But the, I, as with Samantha, for example, she lives in Berlin. She doesn't live here. She lives in yeah, Germany. Yeah. And um, we never read our stuff. She's a much more, I guess, um, I don't know. She's much, she's a much more cerebral writer than I am. Surrealistic, but we, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but also she's very uh, disciplined. But we like we exchange things we read like crazy. I remember when we discovered Robert Aikman. Yeah, yeah. I read the first stories that were translated into Spanish by Robert Eggman because I honestly I didn't know him. And it was very difficult to find his stuff in English. It was amazingly expensive. Yeah. And um so I I read this um I think it's the Bells story that is absolutely insane. And I remember being on the phone with her and said, You have to read this. They can't find the beach. And then <laughs> and then and we are a lot like that. And she's like, you have to read Edgar Keret and you have to read uh, M. John Harrison. And we're like, Oof. you know, this kind of crazy reading uh thing. And uh, we met in a, actually because we were in a, an anthology of young fiction together, not even horror or anything, young and, and we hit it off. Because we are almost the same age and we had the same kind of, uh, I don't know, interests in, in literature. And But now when we meet, and we meet in like in crazy places uh, of the world because she lives in there, so in tour, we talk about our lives, basically, and, uh, and books, but not our stuff. Mm -hmm. We have to read this. I knew, oh, you have no idea, this, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and yeah, and... 
I have kind of a, a, a relationship. I try to keep up with what's going on here because there's many things going on here, like in, in Latin America and in Spain too. And I have another friend that she's called Laura Fernandez that she's absolutely amazing. And I wish she's translated to English because she writes as in translation, like you read her stuff and it reads in Spanish, that is the Spanish in translation that she read when she was young in translation. She's like a John Irving on acid, but not a very bad acid, uh-huh. like, you know, and it's very long and absolutely insane what she does. And um, and we talk about, you know, we talk books a lot, like, and she gives me like a whole other perspective because she reads different things. She's a super fan of Joy Williams. She's that kind of, you know, quirky yeah, yeah. Kind, kind of kind of reader. So, and that has to do a lot with, with Spanish literature. Otherwise, she would kill me if she hears this, but with uh, El Quixote, for example, that kind of you know, very long and very crazy yeah. kind of narrative and, and very funny and very sad at the same time. Like it's a tragedy what happens to him. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she's kind of that. So we, yeah, we, I have, I have more friends that are writers now than I was younger. When I was younger, I was more into, you know, musicians, dealers, whatever. Right. But you know now 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 it's writers. And by the way, how is Lael Baron doing? I was very worried. I think he's amazing. He uh, he will be delighted to hear that he is home. Um, oh right, which which was fantastic news. Um, every Patrick and Brennan let me record a little intro to to help to raise money for his yeah. his GoFundMe. And and at this point, um, you know he he's in a he's in a he has a long way to go to recover but he had gotten into a a kind of a a bad place in his life where i think he didn't realize how many people love and esteem his work Hmm. and so all of a sudden when people it wasn't just that they contributed to the gofundme it was that they sent these messages and i would read him the messages because his vision was so bad from the uncontrolled diabetes that he couldn't read yeah. Um, particularly well. So, you know, I remember there was, there was one woman who, whose message, I guess this is the one that really got to me said, um, it was something like Mr. Barron, you know, my husband many years ago was having a very bad time and he read your stuff and believe it or not, it got him through that bad time. And so he was able to come to me and she said, I will always support you because you saved my husband for me. What wow. writer? I mean, how do you respond wow. to that? Yeah, how do you? Yeah, how do yeah, you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I, um, he has a new novella coming out, uh, Coleridge series, uh, in a couple months, I think. Yeah. And um, and then he's going to work on a fantasy. He's working. He has this insane fantasy series right now, which oh, takes okay. his Coleridge characters and it kind of puts them in. I don't even know how to describe it. It's sort of like a mix of. Conan and Game of Thrones and it's just this like this really weird brutal 
fan, but his yeah. his writing is some of his best writing ever. And so he's going to he's he's going to write a novel. That's his plan now. Yeah, he yeah, refers to it as his novels of antiquity. Yeah, yeah. He calls it antiquity. It's all set in antiquity, yeah. but antiquity may also be the far future because there were like a cyborgs will show up or or mm. things will happen. Oh, okay, the characters yeah. the characters won't understand them, but you understand. Oh my God, that's some kind of alien technology or something. Yeah, it's it's not. Oh, I think he's absolutely brilliant. I mean, I have this uh, occultation is uh, was a very important for me, but there's another one that even had an influence in uh, in our share of night because there's a short story that of course I won't find here and with a Kindle, mm. but uh, but I probably have it in some you know in a in a real book somewhere in the house that at some point is the um, the guy that is the protagonist. It's like a kind of a god hiding, and he hides. It starts in a, in a when they are looking for him because there have been some, and he uh, kind of shows something. It's very, really, really doesn't tell you a lot about. Is it, who is he it is Shiva, Shiva? Shiva, open your eye. Mm. Shiva, open your eye. That was and the first. Ends, yeah, and it ends up with a phrase that says, "I know because I am the mouse of God." And I thought, or something like that. But I'm, uh, I, and I thought that that's what I want. I want a God that eats people, yeah. that literally mm. eats people. So it was very, very influential. I remember, like, you know, underlining that and having that in my little notebook, and you know, it's somewhere there. So you can tell him that. Oh, well, well, now, well, now, yeah, I was gonna say now, John and I want to kill Laird for. <laughs> 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 but that was that was actually how in a way how we met was that we both published stories in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Mine appeared right. in the August issue. His appeared in the September issue or vice versa. And the editor contacted both of us and said, I think you should read this guy's work because I think you might get what this guy is doing. So mm. we wrote each other these terribly formal emails, you know, <laughs> dear Mr. Barron, I am writing dear Mr. Langan, thank you for your kind inquiry. And, you know, here we are 20 years, uh, 20 plus years later. Um, that's wonderful. Yeah, I, I agree with Paul, though. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, uh, uh, yeah. Well, I know this is going to harken back to something we, you guys talked about like 10 minutes ago, but I, I have to add one, John and I do go to very strange and crazy places like Braintree, Massachusetts, uh, Quincy. <laughs> wait, wait, just break down, break down that name. Braintree. Yeah. yeah. Braintree. yeah. yeah. Uh, John, thank you for the very kind words. And I would say. Um, to everybody out there, G uh, January when things got like crazy busy, part to help me sort of just like refocus myself. Uh, I don't have the time to reread a lot of books. I wish I did have more time. But I reread John's The Fisherman, and then I reread reread Mariana's Our Share of Night, and uh, those two books I thought actually fit so wonderfully together back to back to the point where I do. I'm, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I'm having a hard time reading books by other mere mortals. <laughs> uh, At so. the time, though, what he said was. Wow, Langan, after having read Mariana's book again, your book is terrible. That's, I mean, come on. Say that. It was, yeah, yeah, totally. Thank you. Thank no, you. we're good. We, the, the three of us are good. <laughs> I read. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. I, I read Paul Bearers and uh, I, won the, I won the physical one. So oh, ask, absolutely. Ask, send, ask someone to send it to me or something. I will. But it's brilliant. And Thank we. I, 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 I will write to you about it too. Well, another must have, Mariana must have. I feel like you must have a leather jacket. You must have a jacket like. The oh, she has it all the they, time. Oh, in yeah, her, yeah, yeah. In oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the, and the yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, shoot, shoot. What the hell was I just gonna say? 
No, damn it. I interrupted you. I thought that was yeah. rude. No, no, no. <laughs> that was oh, my oh, plan. Oh. <laughs> the, the other, well, another thing, I mean, I would just say briefly that it's, I feel like I'm going to change my reading habits. I don't know why I don't do this more often, but partly it's because I don't get to read books. I think I said this to Mariana, but I want to say it again, that, man, I'm going to, from now on, when I finish a book, I'm going to go back and reread the first line because the first line of Our Share of Night is the amazing, and I'm curious if you wrote it, if this was the first line or you went back and changed it, you know, but the opening line was, there was so much light. At least that's uh, what it's translated in English. <laughs> I know. No, it is. Había tanta luz. Sí, it's the same in Spanish. I don't write chronologically, so I mm. don't really know when I wrote that, but I thought that a light had to be at the beginning. Yeah. And uh, so I m many times I, I, I think that I don't like when a novel or a short story starts when people wake up or in the morning by because it's kind of, you know, yeah. Like a narration starts with conscience and it kind of, you know, it, I don't know, it hits me wrong. But in this case, I thought it was appropriate because it was like awake, an awakening in a way. So, and, uh, yeah, so I, I wanted light to be there. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm happy here in Spanish, I think. And um, yeah, I think it's the same. Megan is very. Santa Luces a Mañana. Yes, the same. Mm. So much light that morning would be like the exact, but Megan is smarter than that. <laughs> She's very good. She's very good, actually. We are we yeah. share we share the same translator with Samantha Schwebling, which is kind of you know um, very fortunate in in a way because I read the translations with what she does with Samantha stuff and mine, and it's completely different, and uh, she gets. The difference that the differences that we have, even you know, if we, I think we read the same stuff, even and you know, but with Samantha and this, maybe we have to end. But I had one some very particular thing. We were in a reading with both of us and a writer that was kind of we really didn't like what he did anyway. So we were like, you know, you know what you do in those cases with your friend that you kick each other from under the. <laughs> the panel like and then I didn't know what she was going to read and she wrote uh, and she started to read the the start of fever dream that is very scary and I remember people were silent and I was reading that and being very scared and at the same time very envious it was like how didn't you tell me anything that you were preparing this you know, hell, this madness, this child that is only saying pay attention and is like the scariest thing ever. <laughs> and uh, and people were like absolutely sad. And then I had to read and what I read, it was like, okay, whatever, this some gore stuff here, zombie children, I don't know. And <laughs> I mean, what she does with language sometimes, it's important, I think, to have a relationship with writers that you admire that you really think they are good and they're better than you it, it's kind of and different it's kind of healthy because i know many writers are so full of themselves and uh it's we call them assholes here in america i know yeah <laughs> we call them but it's more rude how we call them here yeah. There was um, many, many years ago, my, my wife is um, a big Kerouac scholar. Mm. 
And so we wound up having uh, lunch with a musician, David Amram. He yeah. had done the score to the short beat film, Pull My Daisy. Anyway, the, he's a lovely guy and he had crazy experiences. He knew Charlie Parker, all this kind of stuff. And at one point he was talking about uh, Allen Ginsberg. I hope I'm not yeah. telling tales out of school, but he said, you know, he always felt that Alan surrounded himself with people to make sure that he was the smartest one in the room. And that, that for that reason, you know, David was like, well, okay. But he wanted to surround himself with people who were smarter than he was. And, and and that was important to him to, to, you know, if you feel you're the smartest person in the room, what reason is there for you to grow um, as an artist or, you know, as a person, whatever. And, and if, um, and so, yeah, I, I, it's frustrating sometimes, you know, it's, but, but it's, it's, it's ultimately, I think what you, what you need to do, especially I think as you get older as an artist, I feel like when you're yeah. younger, you're like, yeah, whatever, you know? <laughs> but, yeah. um, but then you get older, it's important to keep that, to keep, even if it's with younger people, even to, to hang out with younger, more talented people uh, or equally talented, at least Paul would say, I'm younger than you are. So <laughs> now would say, yeah, life like vampires. We're going to suck off suck off the life and talent of those people <laughs> I, I, I remember also like uh, i remember and, and nowadays i uh, with uh, this very very brilliant writer i hope he gets translated from bolivia it's called maximiliano barrientos that wrote like a crazy thing of gods coming from cars it's like a bit ballard a bit cronenberg a bit mad max and a bit and and this mythology he's absolutely amazing sounds and, cool um, yeah it's very cool He's, he's he's quite extreme too. He has a very a perception of violence that is kind of he makes it disgusting. Like he has this ability of not glamorizing it ever, and he's I think he's absolutely amazing. And um, and the other day we were like going crazy about um, uh, you know it was uh, uh, he was. He discovered Ryan Evanson, and he was like, "What is this? What is this? <laughs> like, whoa. I thought it was weird. This is like, <laughs> what is going yeah, on?" Yeah. And then a week later, my translator, uh, I think uh, Brian is doing some kind of horror thing for, uh, like a compilation or something like that, and he asked me for uh, a book, and I was crazy. I was like, "No, but I mean." he's too good why would he want a book of mine and i think you know having i'm a fan of things and having mm. that kind of admiration and, and being a fan of things that keeps me attentive and keeps me I, I don't want to be better than the other but it gives me ideas this is the yeah. thing like it really gives me yeah. ideas that was i mentioned that shiva story because to me i read and i said yes that's what i want a god that is hiding yeah. from view and the god that eats and that was just you know the spark it has nothing to do with that yeah, yeah but yeah. that spark came from that from that short story so you know well, I, there's room, I owe him a lot yeah there's room for all of us i hope yeah. you know so, like 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 there's room for all of us to succeed yeah except brian Evanson owes me money oh yeah yeah me too that guy <laughs> that, that guy is he's terrible but i brian has a book called contagion it's a collection of stories it's, it's an early only, one it's only available right now in the audiobook version which is read That's by weird. brian 
It's, 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 and it's read by Brian Evanson and it's brilliant. Uh, honestly, listening to it and listening to the way that he read it, his pronunciations, I, I just came away and I thought, did I have any doubt this guy was a great writer? If, if I did, this book puts that to rest. This guy is just a great, he's funny. He's mm. weird. Um, it's, I, I highly recommend it. Um, so it's called Contagion it. and Other Stories. Contagion and Other Stories. Or gotcha. if you just look for the audio book, Contagion and Other Stories, Brian Evanson. And, and there are things, there are moments that are, are laugh out loud funny, uh, yeah. which is not something I really associate with, with Brian, <laughs> Brian's fiction. There's <laughs> <laughs> a really neat cover, at least the one I'm looking at. It's got three riders, uh, yeah, barbed wire on it. Okay. There's, a, there's a story about the religion of barbed wire basically that's a neat so um keeping it to because it's almost 10 where mariana is so uh this is a gonna be the part where we start to wrap up um and we'll start with currently reading mariana what are you currently reading currently reading um well it's actually here it's not horror at all no it doesn't so, matter whatever it is what it's is a, that? It's a Czech writer that that's called Bohumil Rabal, and it's called I Serve the King of England, and it's absolutely beautiful. Is it fiction, nonfiction, or? It's fiction, it's fiction, it's fiction. Really it's, like uh, that when artwork. was it? Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, I was in a kick. I was, you know, trying to read stuff that was not from uh, Latin America or from the US and uh, or from the usual countries. I don't know why I had, you know, I have sometimes I put these kind of missions to me. Like my mission now is read um, Eastern European <laughs> stuff. And uh, so I was reading this and Solenoid by Mircea Cartarescu. That is a Romanian and he's absolutely amazing, but it's 800 pages. So you have to invest yourself in that. Do you prefer physical? This is actually a Twitter question. Do you prefer, um, and it applies, physical or uh, digital reading? No, I'm I'm okay with reading both of them. But you, uh, lately, I prefer digital because this is you can see this is a mess. Like I mean, and this is only one room, and there's many <laughs> others. So it's like it's time to stop. You know? <laughs> Paul, what are you currently reading? Oh, um, I just finished uh, Sean Cosby's first novel, My Darkest Prayer. Um, it was, so it's a reissue. It was, you know, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I really enjoy his crime fiction. Um, I, I have a few, like, books that I'm supposed to read for blurbs. A couple of titles are Escape Me. But I'm excited to read uh, Richard Cardray's novella. Again, something that will be published later in the year. So I'm looking forward to that. Forgot that I was muted. Uh, awesome. Uh, John, what are you currently reading? I don't read. Readings for suckers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I just got this in the mail. Um, it's um, it's an it's a graphic novel adaptation yeah. of The House on the Borderland. Oh wow! And it's it's done by Richard Corbin, the wow. uh, the recently deceased, and it is beautiful. And and I'm I'm I like that uh, artwork. Yeah, I'm just I love Corbin's artwork. It was so distinctive. I'm I. Like Alan Moore, right? I came to reading through comic books, and and yeah. I um, and there's there's a ton. Actually, actually, I'm in the middle. To be to be honest, there's a, a new run of the Swamp Thing. There's um, uh, there's a guy named James Tinian or Tinian 
who's written just a bunch of um a bunch of really cool comics uh something is killing the children is oh is, that's uh, amazing yes right and and only months the, ago it's amazing yeah because yeah. like only the children can see the monsters and yeah. there are monsters that's a title yeah yeah oh yeah no it's not a metaphor you know and, and he's also <laughs> writing a book a, a comic called the house of slaughter which which is um which is about the people who kill those monsters who, who, but who may also kill you if, because sometimes adults, it happens, they can see them. And mm. Hey, if you see the, the, if you see the monster and the people who kill them. So, um, so yeah, yeah. those, and um, there's a lot, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a lot of, a lot of horror comics and, and such at the, at the moment. That's just, that's where my head is at. You said his name's uh James Tinian. Yeah, T Y N I O N. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. There's also a great comic. It's a little I read a little bit longer ago called Witches. Uh W Y T C H E S. Scott Snyder maybe Scott maybe Snyder, wrote yep. it. Um <laughs> and uh the witches, I don't know if this is giving too much away. Uh you can mute this if you if you don't want a spoiler, but the exactly. witches there are actually like other creatures. They're they're not and it's I, I was amazed at how good it was and it stopped and it stopped kind of on a cliffhanger and he has never published. He mm. published another, uh, a short, uh, a, a short sort of filler story, but he's never gotten back to that story. Um, so wow. Scott Snyder, if you're listening to this, come on, man. come on, <laughs> come, on man. come on, yeah. come on, what are yeah, we doing? Finish it. Yeah. Come on. Don't pull George R. R. Martin. Who said that? Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor George R. R. Martin. He's, he gets well, a there's another one. Patrick Rothfuss that. was, uh, you know, he's a big fantasy writer and he's only got, yeah, yeah. He, he, he's just going to finish a third book. And he said he's, he said he finished it years ago. So I don't know, man, something about fantasy. I, I, I want to read those books, but I, I just don't want to love them and wait forever. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but, um, I don't I don't envy their position either because that's a that's too much pressure. Because Mariana, yeah. you were talking about uh crazy fans earlier, and yeah. it's um I mean like even the most extroverted fans, uh writers, like I'm very social. Um uh, clearly I got a podcast, but like it would be super weird to get like fan art sent to my house from someone I don't know. So I don't <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't I don't know how you how much fan mail you get, but Paul, same for you, but I can imagine that's just um, none. No, yeah, I get no fan mail to the house. Well, what's your address? <laughs> just tell us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moving on, Brendan. What are you yeah. currently reading? <laughs> yeah. um, I am reading the Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, I yeah, you know, I'm about halfway through it, and I mostly picked it up because I was looking for books that were kind of vampire novels um kind of in the vein of like uh dan simmons carry on comfort and this one's hitting it it's it's almost more fantasy than anything else but it's kind of got that idea of you know the main you know group of people um they as the title suggests they eat books um <laughs> and you know, kind of absorb knowledge that way. And then there's, you know, a kind of a subset of that group that feeds directly off of minds. And that's kind of where the vampire aspect comes in. But man, the visual image of they, the, the book eaters have these things called book teeth that kind of descend so that they can get through like the hardcover and tear it apart. Oh man, like that, that there's where your horror comes in. But wow. <laughs> uh, 
and in the vein of rereads, I'm also rereading uh, Joe Hill's Heart Shaped Box uh, because it's fucking awesome. Um, and I love going back to a book that, you know, I, I, I read so much every year and so much is good, but there's something about digging into a book that you're like, it's home. I know what this is going to be. I already know I'm going to enjoy it. And now I can kind of look for the things that Hill does well and try and suss them out and figure out, you know, how I can do that better in my own writing. So that's where I'm at. Patrick, how about you? Reverse engineering, man. Um, so I am, oh God, I don't have the physical copy. Yeah, it's blurring. Uh, I'm reading the saga of dead eye. It's by Ron Kelly. It's a horror Western about a zombie now gunslinger. And he battles uh, in the first book, uh, vampires, this one's werewolves. So it's, it's just a fun read. It's a, uh, it's a really fun take on familiar monsters. Um, I would recommend it if you're looking for some horror westerns. And uh, now's the part where we go to final thoughts. Uh, start with you, Mariana. Do you have any final thoughts? Oh, I had a good time. It's not a thought, but it's a feeling, so it's kind of better. And about uh, rereading, I reread. I remember when he died because I love Peter Straub. Uh, houses, houses without. It's a uh, houses without doors. Without houses windows. Without doors. Yes, without yeah. doors. Yeah. Genius. That was another moment of man. What's the point? Yeah, yeah. He was beautiful. <laughs> he was he was a beautiful writer. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I had a great time. I John meeting you is like you know. No, no, likewise, likewise. And Paul, like we see each other a lot now. We should yeah. see each other in the flesh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but now you know before you get too famous, man. Nah, <laughs> you. <laughs> That's what he says. But you should have seen him at Boscon this weekend. <laughs> it was, it was... <laughs> John. Final thoughts, sir. I am very grateful I got to do this. Thank you so much for inviting me, Mariana. It was just absolutely a pleasure and a joy to meet you. Thank you so much. And Thank um, you. yeah, it. Uh, Patrick wanted me to come on to embarrass Brennan a lot and also Paul. Um, I will <laughs> do that a, in a future a episode. Rivalry. <laughs> right. But I'm glad that I'm glad that we got to do this. This was really lovely. It, it really made my day. Thank you. Uh, Paul. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all everything everyone said, it was, this was a lot of fun. It was wonderful to be here. Uh, I'm just, I'm greedy for more translations of Mariana's work. Same. Yes. Make, make it happen, Mariana. Quickly. I'm yeah. finishing a book of short stories as we speak. So. Oh, mm. excellent. Well, oh, let yeah. her out of the cellar for a little bit of food and water and then send her back down. To... <laughs> so, you know, I ho- hopefully they're finished by March. I think I have eight. I want 12 just because it's my luck number, but mm. you know, nice. it's done. Yeah. I don't know what happened to me. Sorry. I was in the middle of the novel and then it happened. That Hmm. happens. That's cool though, because then you get to go back to that novel. Yeah. (laughs) Brandon, final thoughts, sir. Um not much to add that you guys didn't already hit. I mean, what a privilege it is to be able to host the three of you and just hear you, you know, writers of your caliber talk about each other's work and for lack of better words, gush. I mean, this is this is one of the reasons that Patrick and I do this is to just kind of be able to host a conversation like this that you're not going to necessarily get to hear anywhere else. Um, and it lived up to it. I, I really enjoyed listening to the three of you talk today. So thank you all for coming. 
you. Thank you for making it possible. Yeah. Even you, John. You. Yeah, yeah. Go to hell. Even him. John. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Fuck yourself, Wagon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think they like each other. Brennan, we're going to hang out more. <laughs> I'll bet we could make him cry if we tried real hard. <laughs> I'm just going to hang out with my new best friend, Patrick. Take that, Brennan. Oh, uh, cool. Because I love the fishermen. <laughs> um, yeah, same. I mean, Mariana, you're always, and if I'm mispronouncing it, because I say words weird, then please correct me and, and just slap me with a stick or something. Bad dog over here. That's not funny. Move yeah. on. Okay. Um, you're always welcome here, even if I'm super awkward right now. But uh, yeah. I did I did want to say Peter Straub was someone that I, I could relate um, our share of night to. Uh, not because yeah. you brought him up, but it's the fact that if you're categorizing it by genre, it's literary. But at the same time, when you put horror or supernatural aspects in it, it's um, it's really visceral. You don't shy away and that you kind of cover that it's our job as writers to tell the truth. It is where fiction is a reflection of reality. I mean, no matter what you're writing, it's everyone's got a different view of it, but you talked about a world that I wasn't familiar with and boy, do I want to know more about that? I want, I'm, I'm, I'm upset because I can't read other languages, but beyond English. So it makes me wonder how many other phenomenal artists am I, am I going to miss out in my entire life? You know? Um, so that's what you did for me personally. So thank you for that. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. And, and seriously, it's been an honor always welcome back and um I, I just paul and john genuinely love you guys and enjoy talking to you guys so thank you brennan john might be my new best friend so it was fun <laughs> while it lasted <laughs> uh next episode is with erica t worth and grady hendrix um as always you have many choices in podcasts thank you for picking us And Lagan only come on the show, motherfucker. <laughs> I guess that's how I'm ending it. I like to host around.